0: Hello and welcome to my blog. Today we're going to talk about 10 reasons why parasites are really cool. Whilst I completed my PhD on bacteria and now work as a microbiologist, uh, and you can read about why I think bacteria are also cool, my first scientific crush was on parasites. By definition, parasites are organisms that live on or within another organism and survive at the expense of that host. There are loads of different types of parasites, and they can also be resistant to the drugs that we use to treat them. Here are 10 reasons why you should have a healthy respect for these surprisingly clever creatures. Number one, there are likely to be more parasite species than free living ones on earth. There are lots of types of organism that can be classified as a parasite. Parasites are really diverse and include species from many different taxa, including protozoa, single-celled organisms, insects, arachnids, those related to spiders, helminths, and bacteria, and viruses. Parasitism is probably the most common lifestyle choice, and is thought that every free-living species probably has at least one species of parasite related. Even bacteria have their own parasites, called bacteriophages. Number two, malaria used to be a treatment for syphilis. A perhaps surprising fact is that parasites themselves were at one point used technically as an antibiotic. Before the discovery of penicillin, people who had syphilis were often deliberately infected with malaria because being infected with the parasite raised the patient's body temperature so high that the bacteria couldn't survive. There was a huge stigma around having syphilis, and as you could be treated with quinine to get rid of your malaria, patients often opted for malaria-induced pyrotherapy. Number three, parasitic worms have different shaped heads to survive in different gut environments. Just as there are many different parasite species, Each of them have developed fascinating and sometimes mind-blowing methods to survive in their hosts. The host immune system will be doing everything it can to remove the parasites, but it's an arms race. Helminths or parasitic worms that live in the human gut or other animal gut have evolved different shape heads to stop you from, well, flushing them out. Some of them have developed crowns of spikes called rostellum that they use to bury deep into the gut wall and anchor themselves in. Some have developed suckers that they use to grab onto the cell wall And one particularly good example of this are the fish um, tapeworms called diphyllobothrium that have developed grooves along the side of its head that they use to sucker onto the villi in the gut wall. Number four, worms have been used as a diet aid. The Victorians had a thing for fad diets, so much so that they were willing to swallow tablets containing beef tapeworms, tinia saginata, in the hope of becoming thinner, not recommended due to a host of unpleasant side effects such as diarrhoea and vomiting. How popular this actually was or whether it really worked is contentious, although a quick search online suggests that people are still peddling this as a diet aid. There's also the small matter of getting rid of your new gut friends when you no longer want a tapeworm. Nowadays, there are effective drugs, although the drugs generally used merely paralyse the worms, causing them to let go of your gut and, if they're large, simply come out whole. Throughout history, people have had to contend with some very odd methods to get rid of the tapeworms, and you can read about them on the link in the blog. People have, and still do, attempt all sorts of crazy diets. Definitely don't try this one at home. Number five. Some parasites have an invisibility cloak. Trypanosomes, which are single-celled protozoan parasites that cause sleeping sickness in Africa and Chagas disease in South America, have a very clever trick up their sleeve when it comes to evading the host immune system. They are covered in proteins called variable surface glycoproteins, or VSGs, that they're able to constantly swap in for new versions. This means that just as the host immune system thinks it's identified the parasite by attaching to it and presenting its surface proteins to B cells, which then make antibodies, that surface protein is no longer there and a new one has appeared, so the immune system has to start all over again. Number six, there's a parasite that pretends to be a tongue. Whilst I appreciate that most people find parasites generally pretty gross, and that's okay, nature intends us to find them disgusting, this one really is quite grim. Meet Cymophia exquia, or the tongue eating louse. Cymophia is an isopod and is actually related to crabs and lobsters, but it makes, it, way, it makes its way in life by swimming into a fish's gills, usually snapper fish, maturing, and then bedding down at the base of the fish's tongue. She, and it's the female louse that does this, then pierces the tongue and sucks out all the blood until the tongue withers and dies. It then simply replaces the tongue with its own body, happily gulping down some of the food that the fish eats. If that wasn't weird enough, the lice is also protandric hermaphrodite, which means that they start off as males and then they switch to becoming females. If you're not squeamish or have having fish for dinner, then have a look at these lovely photos and read more about the tongue-eating lice in the link. Number seven ticks, definitely not insects. Ticks are fascinating. They can live for a year without feeding, females can eat 200 times their body weight in blood, and they can live for up to three years. Despite what you may think, ticks actually have eight legs, meaning they're not insects but arachnids, so they're more closely related to mites and spiders than other blood suckers like lice and mosquitoes. To find a new host, Ticks often climb up to the top of a tall blade of grass and wave their legs in the air until they catch a ride on a passing, usually hairy host, and this is known as questing. I've fallen victim to this myself when I worked in South Africa on a game reserve. I was walking along a path frequently used by antelope and other wildlife, and suddenly my trousers were covered in swarms of baby ticks that I had picked up as I passed through the long grass. I am not ashamed to say that I immediately took my trousers off and shook them very violently, because I do not want to get bitten by thousands of baby ticks. Number eight, lice definitely are insects, but definitely not fun to have. Did you know that the term feeling lousy actually comes from having lice? If you have lice for long periods of time, the immune system becomes sensitized to the lice's uh, saliva, causing itchiness, fever, and general feelings of malaise, aka feeling very lousy. There are three different species of lice that live on humans, or two depending on whether you believe they are subspecies. There's the pubic louse, Thyrus pubis, which lives in, you guessed it, the pubic hair, and occasionally on eyelashes. The head lice, Pediculus capitus, which again probably needs no explaining. And then there's body lice, Pediculus corporus, which is genetically very similar to the head louse, but slightly bigger. And this is where some people think that they are two subspecies. Despite the name, body lice actually live in the seams of clothes rather than on your skin, and they crawl onto the body around five times a day to feed. Because most people change their clothes every day, and body lice will die without a body within 24 hours, body lice infestations are very rare today, only really occurring in communities who are unable to change regularly, such as homeless people or in refugee camps. Throughout history, though, body lice infestations were very common, and research has shown that lice are able to ingest Yersinia pestis, the bacteria that causes plague, which suggests that it could be partially responsible for the rapid spread of the Black Death. And this is an area I researched during my PhD. You can read more about human lice in the link on my blog. Incidentally, our general lack of lice and other parasites nowadays may be leading to the the fact that we have more allergies. And you can read about the hygiene hypothesis in the link. Number nine, worms can be passed from mother to child, puppy. Toxicara canis is a roundworm that, as the name suggests, generally lives in dogs. It's a zoonotic disease passed between animals and humans. Uh, And although humans have the disease, it's generally asymptomatic. Naturally, if you own a dog, you are more likely to be infected with Toxicara canis yourself. And the same goes for cat owners and the cat version Toxicara catty. The interesting thing about Toxicara canis is that it's thought that almost all puppies or the research figures range between about 20 to 90% are born with the worms in their bodies because it's passed transivariately from their mothers. You can learn more about toxocara on the CDC's website. Number 10. Schistosome worm adults hug for life. The helminths that cause the disease schistosomiasis or bilharzia have a slightly unusual life cycle. Eggs are passed out, in, uh, passed out of the human host via the urine in urinary schistosomiasis or feces, which is intestinal schistosomiasis. If they find their way into water bodies, and this disease is most common in rural resource-constrained areas where plum toilets are not available. They then hatch into miracidia, which can burrow into freshwater snails and mature into sporocysts. They then burst out of the snails as cercariae, which have tails which enable them to swim towards human hosts innocently minding their own business, swimming or washing clothes or whatever it is they're doing in the water. These cercariae burrow into the skin of the hosts <clears throat> and lose their tails, becoming schistosomulae, before finding their way into the bloodstream and lodging themselves in the veins around the bladder or intestine. They then mature into adults and it gets kind of odd. Males are large and flat, whereas females are shaped more like noodles. When a male finds a female, he wraps himself around her and that's how they remain. He absorbs nutrients from her and she produces the many eggs that pass through into the gut or urine. This is what causes most of the symptoms associated with schistosomiasis. So basically, if you have schistosomiasis, you have a community of hugging worms in your veins. Kind of cute, if you think about it. I know most people think parasites are gross, and it's certainly not untrue, but I hope I've shown you that they're also fascinating and highly adapted to live within their hosts, and all of us are their hosts. Perhaps, according to the hygiene hypothesis, we might actually need them a little bit too.